beautiful. There just is nothing like uh, like God's presence. There's just nothing like it. I uh, on Thursday nights I pastor the college young adult. You don't know what to call them these days. You know. <laughs> the young people group at my church. And I remember when, uh, when I got asked to do it, I told the pastor, I said, you know, um, uh, I'm a no gimmick guy. I'm not going to put on games and <laughs> entertain these guys. And, you know, if, if the presence of God and the word of God and the spirit of God isn't enough to keep people in their seats, then, then all the you know, all the entertainment in the world. It's just what good is it if they're coming for entertainment? And it was interesting because that kind of frightened him a little bit. <laughs> you know, he's used to guys doing all sorts of things, trips to Disneyland, I don't know. And, uh, and, uh, and he finally said, okay. And, I, and I'm just happy uh, to report that, that they're getting it. Amen. They're getting it, you know. They're like, "Wow, you know, this is this is cool," you know. And this thing of just worship, and it's like, let's just keep worshiping, you know. And I'm just like, yeah, this is kind of cool, and it's fascinating. I'm a firm believer, and you guys know this uh, as much as as anyone. I don't know. You give people the real thing, and they'll come. Yeah. Yeah, the real thing, you know, and they'll come. People are longing for the real thing. Um, let me pray. I'm going to uh, share my experience in reenacting the crucifixion in Matthew. We'll show a little bit of video. Um, I'm going to tell a story first, and then uh, and we'll just trust the Lord to, to do as only he can do. Uh, let me pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that we don't have to jump through hoops to get to you, Lord. All we have to do is look up and bow our hearts, Lord God, and you come. And I just thank you, Lord God. I thank you for this place that welcomes your spirit. I thank you for this place where your spirit abides. I thank you, Lord God, for true seekers, Lord God, of your spirit. And we just gather today, Lord God, and we just... We just anticipate more of you. Please, Lord Jesus, through all my stumbling around, I just pray just for more of you, for all of us in this place tonight, Lord Jesus. We worship you, we glorify you, we give you thanks. Uh, In the precious name of Jesus. I was at the hotel just now, and I sat down to print out my boarding pass. I'm flying home tomorrow. And the lady at the desk, she comes over to me and she says, are you an actor? And I say, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, are you that guy? And I said, yeah. And, and just, it doesn't happen too often uh, these days since, I, since I've gotten older. It doesn't happen too often. And she just, and just wept like a baby. <laughs> you saw her. She just like tears were dripping on her shirt. And the funny thing, makeup's running down her face. And, uh, and can I have a hug? It's like, oh, there goes my shirt, you know? <laughs> but, but just the beauty of uh, the sense of the Lord working in people's lives, the Lord touching people and what people are going through, you know, trying to, you know, you could little indications that she'd probably lived a pretty uh, rough life at times. And, and, 
And it was just wonderful. That's just, it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. I wanted to tell a, a story um, of something that happened when we were filming Matthew. And it's, it's that story after which my life was never the same. Um, I think I mentioned this morning that, that, uh, that we filmed that movie on our knees. We just prayed. I, I can't explain to you uh, how we prayed. And again, it was just desperation because, you know, we knew we didn't have the goods to get the job done. And, and we just, like, uh, just crying out to God. And uh, we would literally set up the cameras and everything, and I would see the director over there praying, you know, just asking the Lord what to do. It's, it's you know, uh, in practical terms, it's the wrong way to make a movie. But in kingdom terms, it's the only way to make a kingdom movie. And, um, and, and sometimes you know, the crew would be ready, and he'd be setting up, everything would be set up, and and. And there wouldn't be any action. And I could see the crew, the guys who didn't know the Lord, they're, they're wondering what's going on. <laughs> you know, why aren't we working here, you know? And they're getting a little restless. And over in the corner behind a palm tree or something, I would see the director just seeking the Lord. The Lord hasn't given him what to do yet. It was amazing. Uh, we saw a little bit of the scene where Jesus heals the leper. And it's a lot of people, it's one of their favorite scenes in the movie. And the leper, he, he's, he's healed, and he leaps into Jesus' arms and knocks Jesus to the ground. And, and I remember the director came to me that morning, and he, he, said, he said, I think this is what the Lord wants us to do. And, but he was scared. He knew we would get criticized, knocking Jesus to the ground? You know, that's like never, that's unheard of. And his eyes were this big. And he said, can we do that? And, and I, I said, well, first of all, it, it sounds real. You know, I mean, this guy was, was healed of this remarkable malady. And you just, can you imagine the excitement and, and the joy? It, it sounds human. It sounds like a, like a right reaction. And, and I said, and, and if that's what the Lord is saying, then we just have to do it. And it's a fascinating thing. We did the scene. And, uh, and I remember you saw a little bit of it today, uh, and, um, and, and he knocks me to the ground, and we roll on the ground and laugh and everything like that. And I remember all the crew and all the, uh, you know, other, they just couldn't believe what we were doing. When the movie got released, this is very, very interesting. If there's one scene that the uh, experts were critical of, you know, the... the the scholars, the theologian guys. If there's one thing they were critical of, it's that scene. At the same time, if there's one scene that's been, that the Lord has used <laughs> to, uh, to save souls, it's that scene. Isn't that fascinating? And you think, you know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was confronted by what? And, you know, I'm oversimplifying, re- religion. He was confronted by religious presumption, you know, and religious arrogance, you know, know-it-alls, you know. It's a fascinating thing about the Pharisees. We always see pictures of them very angry at Jesus. But, but we miss the fact that, that they knew the scriptures. And, and it wasn't so much that they were mean as much as they, 
they thought what they were doing was, was serving God by silencing this man. They thought they were righteous. It's fascinating. Righteous in their own eyes. And there's just something about that sophistication, religious sophistication, that robs us of, uh, of just the, <laughs> you know, the raw wonder <laughs> of the living God. And it's just been an amazing thing to see that dichotomy of that very scene that offends the theologians is the very scene that is causing people to run to Jesus. Amen. Um, uh, it was the second day of filming. And, um, and you got to understand, we were in a small village in Morocco, and we were about to shoot Matthew chapter 11. And, uh, and it, it, I, re, I remember most of it to this day. Jesus is standing in front of uh, a Galilean village, and he, and, he, and he says, he says, Woe to you, Chorazin, which was the name of the village. He says, Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, two very pagan places, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And then he goes on and he says the same thing about uh, Capernaum, which is a town we're all familiar with. He says, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, as in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. But it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for them than for you. Uh, I get this picture of Jesus. He's gone into these places. And quite often in Jesus' movies, you get the sense of Jesus just kind of wandering around. <laughs> you know, he's just wandering around and he's blessing people and touching people. He's just kind of this aimless wanderer, but it wasn't that way at all. Jesus was on a, on a remarkably strict timeline and, and everything he did was a fulfillment of the first Half of this book, uh, everything he did was frame for frame exactly what his father was telling him what to do. One time after the filming, I was, I was running, and, and without going into the details, I'm just kind of praying, and the Lord revealed to me that all Jesus did, 24-7, his entire strategy for life, his entire everything, was to please the Father. That's all he did. He woke up every day, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? And then he did it. I'm, I'm really oversimplifying, but, but, but that's all he did, was please his Father unto, unto the cross. Just did what his Father told him to do. So as opposed to the aimless wanderer, you, you, you get the sense of a highly focused man on a mission. And, he's, and he, he's, he's gone into these places, and he knows this is their shot. Right. That's good. Amen. This is it. You know, there's a scripture about, you know, behold the day of your salvation. <laughs> this is it. And, and with that heart of a father for a child, he knows the price they're going to pay for walking by him. 
And I remember preparing that scene and, it, and that, that woe to you. We, we read it in our frame of mind and it's like he's shaking his finger. But in the original language, it's, it's, it could be better translated, my heart breaks for you. It's like, it's like when you're angry at your kid through tears because your kid's going to go run off with somebody that you know is going to destroy their life. And you come to a point, the heartbreak, you don't go. You know what I mean? Amen. That's kind of what it is. And I remember we were preparing to do that scene. And the way we would shoot, very unorthodox, the director would put the camera on me and I would just go for it. And uh, he would tell the crew, just follow him. Whatever he does, he, he wanted it to be very uh, spontaneous, very improvisational. He wanted to give complete freedom to the Spirit of God. And, uh, and, and so they're setting up the camera and everything. And I would do sometimes the entire chapter uh, without stopping. And, um, and, and you got a picture, you know, there's, there's hundreds of Moroccan villagers hanging out the windows and there's camels and donkeys and the guys playing the apostles are there. And uh, I mean, it's, you're really transported back in time. And then there's a hundred, 150 uh, crew uh, working and carrying cables. It's, it's quite a scene. And I can tell uh, that we're just moments from filming. And, and I would pray like crazy before the camera would roll. And there's this thing called a focus line. You can't step in front of it or behind it or you're out of focus. And so I'm, I'm, I'm watching this whole scene and I'm pacing back and forth. And I'm praying like mad. Please, Lord. Please, Lord, do a thing. Please, Father, do a thing. And that day in particular, I, I prayed a very specific prayer, one I had never thought of before, <clears throat> and one I had never prayed before. I'm looking at this whole scene of all these people and everything, and I prayed, Lord, show me what it all looks like through your eyes. And you got to understand, I wasn't seeking a vision. I was trying to gain an, an understanding you know, we have our perspective on things. But what's his perspective? You know, two people can walk by a homeless man and think two completely, they have two completely different perspectives. And part of being an actor is to, is to get an understanding of the perspective of the character you're playing. So for the first time in my life, I'm trying to understand his perspective. I'd never thought of it before. There's, I forget what ministry it is, the founder of the ministry, a famous prayer, Lord, uh, may my heart be broken by the things that break your heart. You know, is that kind of a thing. And, and, and I know the camera's about to roll, and I just have, you know, 60 seconds to wrap my mind around this, and I'm praying like crazy. Lord, show me what it all looks like through your eyes. Now, here's where the story gets a little tricky because I don't quite have words that can convey what happened in that moment. Um, and uh, it, was like, it was like I'm pacing and I'm looking at all these people and, and in a blink of a moment of time, it was like heartache, heartbreak, like I never imagined my heart could hurt. It was like wham! And it was so sudden, and it was so, uh, 
deep and it was so quick and it was, that it, I actually had a physical reaction. It knocked the wind out of me. I, was like, <gasps> I couldn't breathe for the longest time. And, and I just exploded in tears. And I just stood there in the middle of this whole <laughs> crowd of people just weeping and weeping and weeping. And this, this pain in my heart. And, and it was so quick. And I'm convinced it was that quick because, because it was so traumatic. Had it been longer, uh, I would have had an emotional breakdown. It was that painful. And in the middle of that heart pain, a scripture rose within me. He had compassion on the crowds. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And in the ways the Lord deals with me, I knew that he was giving me a glimpse of just a billionth of a billionth of a billionth of his heartache for anyone who would choose to live even a moment of his or her life outside of his care, outside of his provision, outside of his leadership. There's the lost, but then, then there's, there's so many among we who know him. We just, we, we still living on, you know, on our own terms, in our own ways. And, and you got to understand the, the heart, the care that he has. It's, it's so remarkable, again, like that parent whose kid is walking out the door. Don't go. Don't go. In fact, in many ways, as I explored Jesus for the making of Matthew, I, 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 I saw that as his experience. Like, uh, you know, you're sitting on the porch and, and your, your child is walking out the door and heading for the street, little toddler. There's something out there he wants. And you as a parent, you see the car coming. What do you do? You know, yeah, you know, and the kid, the little one looks, looks at the road, keeps going. No, keeps going. No, wham. Imagine the experience of Jesus over and over and over and over as his children walk in the street in spite of of his desperation for them to what? To come to him. To come to him. And I remember I, I just started weeping and weeping and I, you know, I could see people looking at me and I went and I sat down on this little mud wall and, and the director came over to me and he said, are you okay? And I looked up at him and through my tears, his, his name was uh, Reg, Reggie. I looked up at him through my tears and I said, it kills him, Reg. It just kills him. And I remember somehow he knew what I was talking about and his eyes welled with tears. He said, I know. He said, that's why we're out here doing what we're doing. You just, you just take all the time you need and when you're ready, we'll, we'll continue filming. That was, that was the pivotal moment of my entire life. My life could never be the same after that moment. I remember going back home after the filming and sitting at a stoplight. 
on Sunset Boulevard and Highland Avenue. And in the crosswalk in front of me, just a sea of, of, of people, tourists, and, and, and just weeping and weeping and weeping for the lostness of people. After that day, I had dreamed of being an actor my whole life. It was just like my greatest dream. After that day, it all just seemed kind of silly. The heart of Jesus for anyone who would choose to live any moment of his or her life outside of the future and hope and the care and the love of Jesus. So you imagine him 2,000 years ago with that boiling inside of him, day upon day, night upon night, and just going out there and giving it, and giving it as all, day after day, trying and trying. I mentioned the Pharisees earlier. You know, we often see in the movies, they're going head to head, but it wasn't that way at all. He loves those guys. If there's anybody he, he wants to reach, it's those guys. Amen. And I think it's Matthew maybe 23 that, you know, woe to you, you, you hypocrites, you snakes, you brood of vipers. That's the uh, scene that I auditioned with. And I remember as a, looking at the scene, and I thought, you know, every actor who goes into audition, he's going to yell. He's going to be really, you know, woe to you, you snakes. And again, without taking the time, the Lord just revealed to me, he loves those guys. And I remember I went into the director on the audition, and I, I told him, look, I have a different slant on this. <laughs> I, said, uh, I said, I think Jesus loved these guys. And I remember the director, he was, he was just kind of, <laughs> he just blank stare. And he said, okay, well, you know, show me what you got. And I did it. Woe to you, you snakes. Through tears, you snakes. You brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? It's, you know, his heart's coming out of his chest. So good. Yeah. And if the director were here tonight, he would tell you that Months before, as he was preparing uh, for the film, the Lord showed him the exact same thing. And in that moment, he would tell you that the Lord spoke to him. This is the guy. This is the guy. This is the guy. So Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he's just pouring himself out and pouring himself out. And then comes the day when he literally, physically pours himself out. It's kind of an interesting thing about the crucifixion and the cross. If anything falls under the canopy of familiarity breeds complacency, it's, it's the cross. If anything falls under just the, uh, you know, kind of hallmark card sentimentality of, of religious presentation, it's the cross of Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, I remember going into that day, I remember I knew this was going to be a big day, and uh, I, I knew it was going to be quite an experience, but I had no <laughs> even beginning of a hint of, of what that day was going to be like. The day started very, very early in the morning, um, and they had to do a tremendous makeup job on my face. Uh, I think the book of Isaiah says that Jesus was beaten beyond recognition 
as a human being. In other words, to look at his face was to not see a face. Uh, No film has ever come close to that. Uh, No film ever will. And uh, I remember the director sitting with the makeup artist, and I was in that chair for about two hours that morning. And uh, they're trying to to, uh, mess up my face as much as possible without crossing a line uh, uh, into getting uh, uh, a rating that would be unwatchable, you know. And, uh, and I remember uh, uh, there was no mirror in front of me. And uh, he glued this eye shut, he glued this eye open, and he had vats of, of just wax and glue and, and this vat of red stuff that... Uh, uh, you'll, you'll get a laugh out of this. It was just red liquid, but he, he mixed it with coffee grounds to thicken it, to thicken it. And I remember him just dipping his hands into that, that vat of red stuff and just all through my beard and all through my hair. And, uh, and I couldn't see myself, but I could feel it. I could feel this sense of disfigurement this sense of ugliness. And, um, and I remember we actually did the makeup in the hotel, and then we got in the car and went to the location. And as I was walking, uh, in retrospect, this is a little bit of a funny story, but it wasn't funny at the time. Um, as I was walking from the makeup room to the car, we had to walk through the lobby of the hotel. Now, granted, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. There's nobody in the lobby but the desk clerk. Uh, was was there and and we walked by and he started screaming, just screaming and you know in in a language I didn't understand and he just uh, and and in that moment for the first time I began to catch a glimpse of what I looked like. Wow. And I remember uh, they put me in the car and they drove me up to the location. The crosses were up on a hill, and uh, and I'm walking up the trail. And I could hear on the walkie-talkies, I can hear there, there were two or three different guys named Bruce on the shoot. And so we each had our nickname. Mine, obviously, was Bruce Jesus. And uh, <laughs> so I can hear the walkie-talkies. Bruce Jesus is on set. Bruce Jesus is on set. And, and I, I came over the crest of the hill. And you have to understand, I'd gotten to know these guys. We were buddies by then, all the crew, and we were all just a lot of camaraderie. And, and I came over the crest of the hill, and they all looked at me and just froze. And I remember not a one of them said a word to me. Every one of them just looked away and, and as, as if I didn't even exist. And I, I, have, I don't have words to describe that moment. Just the sense of, of ugliness, the sense of personal horror, uh, the sense of aloneness. You ever been in a room surrounded by people and you felt terribly alone? You know, just multiply that a million times. And I remember walking through the crowd of people. And, you know, there's a scripture that says that Jesus on that day was one from whom men hid their faces. And it's funny, I don't know about you, but you read that scripture and it sounds kind of like poetry. And I remember walking through the crowd and each of them turning away. And, and it hit me, it's not poetry. It happened. It happened. And I remember they sat me down in a little chair because they weren't quite ready for me. And, uh, and, and 
people are walking all around me and just ignoring me completely. And, and again, that sense of aloneness. And, and, and I felt something on my hand. And this eye, I said, was glued shut. I turned. And it was a little Moroccan girl. She was from one of the local villages. And she had just come up to see what was going on. And, and she had come over to take my hand. And she was standing there holding my hand. And the tears were running down her face. And, and I, I, I can't explain to you what that human touch meant to me in my own aloneness that day. To this day, I think of that little girl. It was 27 years ago, and I still think of that little girl and the ministry uh, of, of her just taking my hand and that that was something that Jesus didn't have 2,000 years ago. And then it came time to begin the filming. Um, the first scene we shot was the soldiers bringing Jesus over the hill. And um, uh, uh, I had this thing I'm trying to, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like I'm trying to condense this much story into this. So for, that's what I am like, how do I tell this story in less than seven hours, you know? Um, um, Getting back to what I said earlier about a man on a mission, we always tend to think of Jesus as like this victim of these cruel people. But you have to understand, this was a man, he could raise people from the dead. He's got all the power of the universe at his fingertips. He's not a victim of anyone. He's actually the one calling the shots that day. He's actually the one manipulating them into getting him on the cross. And the thing is, is he's, as a human being, he's taken no advantage over you and I. In other words, his body is reacting to the beatings and the whippings, just like yours and mine. It's, he's losing blood. His body's giving out. But he's got to make it to the cross. We've all seen in, you know... <laughs> Rambo movies, you know, he's getting shot up, but he just keeps going, you know what I mean? And it's very entertaining. That, that's the picture of, of, of Jesus 2,000 years ago. He's, he knows he's only got, you know, 180 more breaths in him, and he's one more, one more, one more, one more. And I remember trying to convey that sense of him, of him uh, 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 crawling to the cross with his last ounce of strength, and then the nails, wham, wham made it. That's the reality 2,000 years ago. That's the mindset 2,000 years ago. Jesus isn't a victim of anything. He's standing there in front of Pontius Pilate. He's got all the power of the universe, and all he has to do is think one thought, (laughs) and the whole thing blows up. And you know what's interesting is that would have looked pretty good in the book 2,000 years later. And then Jesus said to Pontius Pilate, well, I'll show you. And the palace crumbled to the ground. And then Jesus said, see, I told you I was Messiah. You see, we get so familiar with the stories, we lose sight that, that, it, that it's almost, you know, you kind of giggle that, to, to say that, but it's more, more laughable that he didn't do that. He's God. See, we lose sight of the fact this is God. His choices that day were remarkable. And the bottom line to it all, 
Getting back to Hebrews 12, verse 2 and 3. For the joy set before him. He drives to the cross. That joy being what? That joy being us sitting together on March 1st, 2020. It's a remarkable thing to think that he's hanging on that piece of wood 2,000 years ago. And it is divine understanding. He looks through the tunnel of time and he sees this night. He sees you. He knows what it counts for. So uh, the first scene we shot is the soldiers bringing Jesus over the hill. Very difficult for me to explain that to you. Um, The soldiers were told, it's not that you hate this guy. It's like, this is your job. This is what you do. You execute people. So it's more like you're just in a hurry to get this guy up on the cross and, you know, uh, just to keep the ball moving so you can go to lunch kind of thing. And I remember... um, Uh, We wanted to shoot it very, we wanted to look very documentary. We didn't set up stunts. We just told the guys to go for it. And we had long discussions about where they could hit me without hurting me and things like that. And, And, you know, you're just standing there and the guys are around me and it's just silence. And then the director calls action and I start to go. And people are yelling and people are spitting. I can't explain that to you. And at one point, my foot hit a rock and my ankle went and I went down. And the next thing I knew, uh, I can't even explain the moment. You know, a guy's got me by the collar and another guy's kicking me from behind and the spit's flying. And the crown of thorns, we used very real thorns. Uh, Obviously, the needle points were clipped off. Um, but it's the acacia thorn bush. If you ever watch National Geographic, you see the, the giraffes eating <laughs> those thorns. It's those thorns. And, and I, I, I just remember this just being manhandled. And I, I, I can't explain that moment to you. I can't explain that reality. And, uh, and finally, the director yelled, cut, and it was over. And, uh, and I remember sitting there. There's actually, I wish I had the photograph to show you. There's a, uh, uh, a well-known photograph of me sitting on the ground with my head in my hands after that first take. And my eyes are this big. And I can remember my thought. You know, I could, uh, you know, uh, can I do this? Can I do this? Should I tell the director, hey, look, this isn't going to work. We need to set up stunts. I'm not going to take a beating all day long. And I remember making a conscious decision. No, I'm just going to keep doing this. And in that moment, realizing that he made that (laughs) decision times a billion 2,000 years ago. I mean, I'm just faking it. Then it came time to shoot the nailing. And by this time, I was so kind of emotionally disoriented from getting kicked around. I'm laying down on a piece of wood. And I didn't even hear the director call action. I just felt somebody take my hand. And I, I, I rolled my head around to see what it was. And he's got a spike in the middle of my hand. And that hammer went up. And I just can't explain to you the panic that, that goes through a man's heart in a moment like that. And, and the sound of that hammer coming down. And wham! You know, I, I, I just don't have words that can explain that moment to you. And, uh, and then it came time for me to go up on the cross. And what they did was um, they put leather straps on either side of the cross beam. Uh, 
and, uh, and I'd jam my hands into those straps. And then the makeup artist would come and paint gore over the straps. And I was standing on a, on a platform. And we wanted to get a sense of the reality of the straining of all the tissues and the joints. So when the director would call action, they would pull that platform out from under me. There was nothing under my feet while the camera was rolling, kind of like a hangman kind of a thing. And, and, and I just can't explain that to you. We would do that. Uh, I would hang like that for probably 10 hours over the course of a 14-hour day, on and off, on and off. And I, I just can't explain to you. I'm, I'm, I'm hanging there and just literally uh, begging God for each second. Lord, one more second, one more second, one more second. And then the director would call cut. And the guys were very kind to me that day. They'd come and they'd, they'd grab my uh, trunk and lift the weight up off my arms and put that platform back under me. I remember the makeup artist, he had a spray bottle of cold water throughout the day. And he would just keep spraying me in the face just, uh, be, <laughs> just to keep me in the game. And um, uh, I, I remember coming down off the cross. They would have to keep touching up the makeup and everything like that. And uh, again, a moment I, I don't have any explanation for. Um, I'm standing there like this, and, and the makeup artist is just painting my trunk with the red stuff. And, and, uh, and I, I look down to the ground, and, and there's just huge splotches of this red stuff in the sand. And it, if you can picture, if you've watched crime shows, just blood in the sand and just huge pools of it. And, and I have no explanation for it. And I, it, just, it just shook me up so much. And I, I, I looked away and, and my arm was so covered with the red stuff, I, I couldn't see my arm. And I came unglued. I just started to weep like a baby. I, I just started to cry, like literally like a baby standing there. Uh, I have no explanation for that. Um, some would say I was having a profoundly spiritual experience. Others would say it was just my reaction to uh, the realness of the moment. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that the director would tell me later that uh, he was afraid for me. I couldn't stop crying. And uh, he, his exact quote was, I was afraid you were going someplace that I couldn't bring you back from. And... Uh, and I just remember hanging there. I remember one time, this is kind of an odd thing to say, but, and some people will giggle when I tell this story, but it's actually so profound. I'm hanging there, and, and a fly landed on my face. Now, you got to understand, my hands are jammed into these leather straps, I can't pull my hand out and wipe that fly away. And this fly just crawled on my eyeball, crawled up my nose, crawled in my mouth. This fly. And that's what it was 2,000 years ago. I mean, is there anything that a fly is more attracted to than open wounds? His entire face was an open wound. It's funny, when filmmakers, they start to get creative, they can get a little too creative. And uh, in, I mentioned 
earlier this morning that I'm, I'm doing the Gospel of John. And in the original draft of the script, the opening, you, you don't see anything. You just hear this hum, this remarkable hum. And it's the kind of thing like, what is that noise? What is that noise? And you realize it's a cloud of flies covering the face and body of Jesus. Um, and, and, and as much as I'm not going to do that, <laughs> it needs to be known. He's the son of the living God with all the power of the universe. And he lets flies crawl on his face for me? For me? And I remember just hanging there and hanging there. And it was like the Lord said, I told you I loved you, kid. I told you I loved you. My heart is for you. You don't have to hold back on me. I want to take care of this and that for you. Stop trying to do all those things on your own, in your own power. I'm the living God. And I love you very, very much. Jesus. Jonathan, can we show that little bit of video? Acquainted without grief, a man despised and rejected. Surely we esteemed him not. Nothing to make us desire him, in our majesty. Not one attracted unto him, yet he took upon infirmities for the suffering. The suffering. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted without grief. A man despised and rejected, surely we esteemed him not. Nothing to make us desire him, not in our majesty. Not one attracted unto him, yet he took up our infirmities. For the sorrow and the suffering, he was pierced for our transgressions. Crushed for our iniquities and wounded for us all, good men of sorrows. This man who done no violence, never spoke his own defense, cut off from the land of the living. So stricken for my sin, assigned a grave with the wicked, bore the will of God in suffering, guilty emblem of his offering. the will of God. 
Uh, just a couple things. Is that close-up of the blood on the shoulder? This is a fun story. I remember uh, uh, the director. <laughs> He'd be at home in this church, boy. I remember he explained the shot to me. He said the blood is going to drip down the thorns and drip onto your shoulder. I want a close-up of the blood. The blood. It's all about the blood. <clears throat> you got to understand, we were in Morocco, a fundamentally Islamic country. And, uh, you know, we had a Western crew, but then we also had Moroccan crew. And, and when we did that shot, it was very, very late in the day. And I was messed up. Um, uh, I was just messed up. And the makeup artist, he, he, he got up on a ladder next to me with his little vat of red stuff. And the director called action. And I remember the director told me, I just want you to be very, very still. Jesus is very close to the point of death. And, uh, and I, I had my eyes closed. Director called action. And I just felt the drip on my shoulder of wet stuff running down my shoulder. Now, here's the fun part. The director, <laughs> he just couldn't contain himself. He just started shouting. There it is, everybody, the blood of Jesus. There it is, your salvation, the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. He just went wild doing church up on the hill, you know, and he wouldn't stop. He's just going on and on about the blood of Jesus, and he's dancing, and he's going like that. And I'm hanging there, and I'm like, say cut, will you? You know, say cut, will you? Blood of Jesus. Two weeks after we filmed that day. We shot the whole crucifixion in one day. The director and I were sitting in a uh, restaurant by the ocean in Southern Africa. And, uh, and I asked him about, oh, I got to tell you one more story. The final scene we had to shoot was the death of Jesus. And it was very late in the day. The sun was sinking. We were starting to lose light. And so the director was moving very fast. And like I said, you know, I'd been up there uh, uh, all day long at this point. He was on a scaffolding to my left, and I'm hanging up there. And, and if there was any scene that I, I was intimidated to do, it was the death of Jesus. I mean, you think about that moment in time. It's equally the most horrific moment in universal history and the most victorious, joyous moment in universal history. How do you do that? How do you convey that? I, I had no idea. And, <laughs> and I just remember just praying like crazy. And, uh, and um, uh, by this time, I was, I, was, I was so out of it, he wasn't giving me any instructions. He was just sending his assistant director over to tell me what scene we were going to shoot. And, and, and I'm hanging there, and he calls action. There was a camera here and a camera there. And, and I let out the scream like you saw. And my face fell away from him over here. And just the silence. And he very quietly said, and everybody relaxed. And he said, okay, I want to do it again. I need more light on his face here. I need more this here. I need more that here. And he's talking really, really fast. And just in case he wanted me to do something different, I, I rolled my head around to listen to him like this. And, uh, and he's talking, and he, and he looked me right in the eye. And he, that's it. 
He pointed to me and he said to the crew, get him down, we're done. That's it, day is done. And I remember mumbling literally through the blood in my teeth from getting kicked around all day. I said, I can do it again. And he said, no, that's it. And he crawled down the scaffolding and the guys came and they took me down off the cross and that was it. Uh, in the can, as, as we say. And, and in that restaurant where we were having lunch a couple weeks after that, I asked him about that moment. I said, what did you see when you looked at me that made you stop the filming like that? And I remember he looked out at the ocean and very serious, and he looked back at me at the, after the longest time. And he said these remarkable words. I saw a man dying. I saw a man, Jesus, dying. For me? For me? I mentioned this morning that uh, after that whole experience, sitting down on the plane on the way home and struggling to put into words what I had experienced and uh, all I could think to write in my journal was he loves you. He loves you. He's the son of the living God and he just loves you. You, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's very difficult to to just give your all to Jesus. The best of us, I I think it's just a very, very difficult thing to do. Our, our, Our flesh just... Demands so much and wars against his spirit so much. He loves you, my brothers and sisters. He just loves you very, very, very much. I would just, uh, I would just conclude by just encouraging all of us, starting with me, just. Let's all just get on our knees a little bit harder and let go of stuff a little bit more and cry out to him a little bit more and free ourselves from our little points of sophistication and thinking we, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) And just thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I don't get it, Lord. I don't get it. But I... Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray, and then I'll come on up. And, uh, and may I just say thank you. It's just what a wonderful place to be. You're in a wonderful church family here. Believe me, I travel around. I, I've seen a lot. And uh, you're just in a wonderful, wonderful place here. The family. I mentioned it this morning in worship. We just got the sense of family, church family. And uh, if I may digress, uh, you know, times are, are getting dark and darker. And the need to be surrounded by your family is just 
It's a huge, huge thing. It's a huge, huge thing. Now, thank you. Amen. Thank you. Let me pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for such a precious family, Lord. Thank you for this precious, precious place. I just pray over the leadership and everyone who hears my voice. Please, Lord Jesus, we just need you so much. Lord Jesus, as much as your presence abounds in this room, I just pray for increase and increase on the leadership here, on, on all the family, on my brothers and sisters. Please, just, just ascend on this place in greater unending measures of your spirit and your fullness, Lord God. We thank you, Lord. Lord God, we just communally thank you. We don't, uh, we don't understand the fullness of your heart toward us, but we just communally thank you, Lord. And we trust you by your spirit. Just draw us all closer and closer, Lord God. We commit ourselves to your care. In the name of Jesus. Amen.